Hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix International. I'm your host, Jero Sin, and this is Ben Kimber. Jero, how are you, buddy? Very good, thank you very much, Ben. And of course, it is the end of the, well, the Four Nations Rugby Championship and that last Bledisloe, and the spring tours are underway this week. Some interesting games. The USA is hosting, the United States is hosting the All Blacks and Ireland. Of course, uh, the British Barbarians against South Africa and Australia starts its tour up against Wales. So lots to talk about over the next half hour. Ben Kimber, though, first, your strike issue of the week. Strike issue of the week, mate, and this very well will be playing into Checker's hands. Uh, some suggestion that that, uh, that press conference was all about misdirection and getting us talking about stuff other than the fact that the Wallabies got smacked. But I think it's ahead of this tour, and which is a, a hugely important tour for the Wallabies and a very, very important tour for Ke Checker as coach. I think we've got to talk about the Wallabies' mindset and Checker's passion. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with passion for the game. But when passion gets in the way, and as we talked about at the end of the show last week with Tony Johnson from New Zealand, passion needs to be used in the right way. So if you're over the top, throwing things around the coach's box, looking like things aren't under control, that's the worst thing for a coach. You always have to look like it could be going to hell in a handbasket very quickly, but you've got to look like it's all under control because everyone looks to you for leadership. Yeah, exactly right, Jero. And uh, you know, shout out to Shannon Davis, one of our Facebook commentators, who made a good Shannon. comment about this, um, uh, particularly the way that Checker's passion might influence the players. And, and the reason I wanted to talk about it was um, there were those moments we saw in that last blood as low where we saw good rugby from the Wallabies, not good enough in the end. The scoreline was a big one; they did get smacked. But it, the body language on the field, Bernard Foley, who you know looked like the toys went out of the cot um, when uh, the trial was disallowed. Yeah. So instead of you know resetting, is that where the Wallabies lost it in the mind when they lost uh, when they lost the game in their mind when they when they didn't get that decision go their way? Stephen Moore talking about the jersey after the game in a cartoon in a newspaper just didn't seem where you wanted the the Wallabies captain's head to be. Now I want to talk about passion specifically, and and I'm going to actually delve into rugby league a little bit here because I see it a, a bit there too from an ex Wallaby player um, who's a big rugby league figure in Ricky Stewart. Mm. Now Ricky Stewart's a very polarizing figure in rugby league. Um, and he goes off the handle. He, he tell every time they lose, something's happened. The refs are doing something wrong. He's you know he's he's fronted you know refs personally after games before and been called out for it. And every time he goes off the rails, you'll see that some of the journalists who work with him and get stories off him clearly, who'll say, oh, it's all about his passion. Now I think there's there's a big there's a really fine line between passion and just being a bit of a dickhead sometimes, mm. right? I think to say that that screaming and ranting and raving is a passionate response is I think that really denigrates what actual passion is you know the likes of a Richie McCaw or a David Pocock and we always do hold those guys up as representative of the way you want people to behave but to say they aren't passionate because they don't rant and rave and scream I don't think is, is fair in any way shape or form so particularly with Checker um, you've got to wonder the way that he is carrying on and I'm saying that deliberately carrying on up on his feet and screaming we talked about the the, um, the coach's box last week and the calm that you can see when the All Blacks are under pressure and the two guys next to Hanson who are both experts sitting there with him and they're doing it together and you go to the coach's box and there's Checker who's up on his feet and screaming on his own and you can't even see if Stephen Larkin's sitting near him but you don't feel like there's a collective answer coming you feel like there's an emotional response and I don't think that as a team that is a viable long-term ability to get your team in the right space. It might work for you in short terms, World Cup campaign, we're all in this together boys, we're in the trenches, but I don't think that's gonna be the way you're gonna build a long-term effective team. What do you think? 
Well, I think that um, that's actually morphed from that passion in the coaching box into a siege mentality for the Wallabies. And you talked about Stephen Moore, who's a really great guy, um, but he, he got caught up in the whole Clowngate sort of scenario and then felt like he had to defend the coach. And, you know, when you start getting distracted by things like that, you really start to move away from the core plan. And Australia had a really good plan in that final test match. They played direct, they played with purpose and put the All Blacks under pressure like we haven't seen for some time. But the distraction of the clown thing has come out of this siege mentality. And now the Brumbies used to have a wonderful siege mentality. Many teams do it. Ricky Stewart does it with his teams. A lot of coaches do it. But after a while, it wears you down. It's actually quite sapping to maintain the rage because you need to get out there and think clearly. Now, the former coach of Australia, Ewan McKenzie, who I know well, probably be criticised for being too calm. But underneath that physique, that massive physique of his and that massive intellect, was a fair bit of passion um, bubbling there. So that's exactly my point, right? It's, but, it's not he, fair to he say it out of the outbursts right are passionate, yeah. right? That's not fair to what you know genuine passion is. Yeah, I think it's a very simplistic way of looking at it. So someone like Ewan would get a point, his point across because he'd need to get um, the players thinking about specifics, whether it's from the kickoff, get out there, they're going to kick uh, deep or they're going to kick to uh, to the sideline, whatever. Uh, just get them focused on those immediate moments of the game. So they need to uh, make sure as a playing group, they don't get caught up with this, you know, it's great fist of passion. And it's great to see that when a guy scores a try. But in the coach's box, it doesn't do you any good. I once heard that an assistant who was at the Waratahs, he was on the fringes, said that uh, Ewan should send the message down to the playing group, stop dropping the ball. So I don't think that message actually went through because it's one of the most ridiculous messages you've ever heard of. Like, yeah, boys, don't drop the ball. Great. I think we've got, I'm glad we're paying all those experts and consultants all that money. So you can get carried away with this stuff in the box. What you need is calm heads, and you don't need your players looking up thinking it. They're throwing, as you said, the tours out of the cot when it doesn't go your way. You need to be calm on the field. Now, if the Wallabies, when they had that try disallowed, got back and said, okay, let's refocus like the Wallabies of 1991 did, focused mm. on winning that quarterfinal against Ireland and making it all the way through to the final and winning the World Cup, that's when you know you've got a really good team. So yeah. I think you're absolutely right. The passion and craziness and the carry-on is one thing, but it shouldn't be mistaken for being really good coaching. Yeah, and as you said, it is that short-term effectiveness. Yeah. You know, that you can get a team revved up and running at something, but then after that, what? Yeah. How do you go into the next session and the next thing? You can't you can't live in a siege mentality. Now, uh, It's Ian, exhausting, Ben. It is. And now, Ian Payton, the uh, Daily Telegraph rugby reporter, had a yeah, quote, an, had an anonymous quote, Pato, good man, had an anonymous quote for a player saying, they love it when Checker get out, gets out there and does that. And I don't think that speaks well of the team's mentality. And we're really comparing this right now to the All Blacks, who have just set a, a you know a world record for tests. Clearly on top, they've clearly got things going the way they want them to go. And talk to any of them, and it's about mental preparation, right? And specifically, and again, Shannon pointed this out to me in his Facebook post. The the Walla, the, the All Blacks have their their team manager slash mental coach, a guy called Gilbert Anoka, and I'll post a I posted a link to a story which I read about him, which was fascinating. Mm. Um, but the way he's got that team thinking about their calmness and finding their own way to get their mind right. 
Brad Thorne would throw a bit of water on himself to reset his mind. I think Richie McCall would stamp their feet. But they were all training to say how they get their mind in the right place. And when you look at that Wallaby team, who clearly showed they have the talent, right, to compete. It's got, you've got to think it's upstairs. And you've got to question that if, if Checkers, you know, bullish, we're, they're all against us or we're going to smash them here, isn't going to work for that against that preparedness of we've got this worked out. We've got, you know, we've got the process. We know how to do this and we're going to do it together. It feels like a very different mindset in the team. Yeah, and, uh, you know, look, that quote may be okay if in isolation it was this guy's got our back. You know, that's sort of a different story when when teammates and coaches have your back and you'd, you'd expect them to do that. But in those situations, they're going to fight to the death for you and that's great. But when it then spills out, out of the coach's box, into the press conference afterwards, into the community, and it just looks bad where you're not being humble in defeat and uh, you're not being humble in victory as well, which is also important, I think you need to be able to then check yourself. So um, Michael Checker is a good bloke. And he's a passionate bloke and he knows his rugby. And he was a good player for Randwick back in the day. But he needs a team around him to help him in those moments. And, mm. I, and I think the, the, the tours come at a good time for them because they can really concentrate. But I'm just worried that the Australians will go on this tour and become insular and have the world against them. The world isn't against them. The Australian team and Australian rugby have been world leaders. So they're looking to Australia to become innovative again, which Australian teams of the past, like Mark Eller we had here, Brett Papworth, were very smart teams that were able to play over and above their ability at many times to win a game of rugby. And that's the beauty of rugby. Scotland's going to be taking on some teams from the Southern Hemisphere and they have a limited player base, but they play above their weight all the time. So there's all different ways of playing the game of rugby. So don't chase the All Blacks. Australia should try and play their own, and South Africa should play their own way as well. Now, just before we get into the tour, I want to close out on this Checker stuff. It was clearly the, the, the big talking point uh, out of the game, as potentially, as I said, perhaps, which is what Checker wanted. Yeah. But, but Jiro, I wanted to get uh, some thoughts from you specifically, because there was all this talk around the coach um, being prepared uh, to face the media, how, how he might have been talking about it. Now, I know for a fact that Adam Fryer has been the media manager for the Wallabies. He wasn't in Auckland, so there'd been a bit of a change in the management of the team there. But I also saw a, there was a story from, I think, uh, Spiro Zavos on the Raw, saying that, you know, oh, this is just like Eddie Jones, who, who, who was kept away from, you know, the media for hours when he, you know, when he, had the, uh, when he was upset with the refs, et cetera, et cetera. So I want you to tell us what happens, right? When you're with a team, you're a part of that team, and you're responsible for that press conference, how do you work with a coach who might be ropeable after getting smacked or a bad decision? So it's quite busy, Ben, after a game. So you have to service your television, media, and everything else. But you do need to grab three or four minutes with the coach and devise the media spin from there. And I'm not saying that it's a way of um, telling the public porky pies, but it's a way of coming out what may have been a pretty heartbreaking loss, maybe a savage loss, and then tell the public, the supporters of the game, why your Australian team didn't perform or why they performed tonight. So you do grab the coach for a couple of minutes. Sometimes they're angry and you'll have that honest discussion, stuff that you can't say because you might get fined uh, by your own body because of the way you react to referees. So the initial response from the coach could be wildly different and very aggressive. But by the time you get to that press conference room, you need to sit down and be balanced about it. And 
you know, Eddie wasn't, is a bit like Michael Checker in a way because he didn't care what other people thought of him. He was prepared to come out and spray everyone and he still does that now. Um, so I tried to work with him on that to, to try and become more balanced and not be so aggressive in some points that were unnecessarily aggressive. If you know what I mean, mm. like you don't need to go out. And Say become, like a newspaper cartoon. I didn't want Australia to be hated by a lot of people around the world, and we are. The Australian way of playing sport, uh, with cricket in particular, is despised by many people around the world, and we're not all like that. Um, we are competitive on the field and wherever we play, um, in everything we do, but our leaders, including our coaches and captains, can't sit there look like they got chips on both both shoulders and then start to whinge and moan about everything particularly when you lose by big margins and you don't really have any respect because you can't go out and bag people because you got toweled up by the all blacks you you can't say you were robbed and then and several times this year australia can't complain about being robbed because they were toweled up so in those discussions ben uh to bring this point to a conclusion you do pull back and you discuss what are the key points, but you always try and come out with some sort of humility. And that is tough because sometimes the coaches want to get a particular point across. And once you sit them down, they are out of your hands because they can then get driven on a tangent you may not have thought of. But you do get those moments and you try and get a, some sort of narrative out of the game. And it might be a trend in the refereeing that you, you want to identify and you go for that. Um, and that, that is clear. Or it might be a message to your own playing group. You will give it to the players directly, but you want to get that message around to them as well uh, through, through the, the, press. Through the yep. press as well. But, but I always thought that was a bad way to go. Yep. You've got to be upfront with your players, but the message to them should be solid on. One-on-one, -on -one, but also publicly. Don't send mixed messages to them. So, yes... Um, you know, keeping Eddie away from uh, press conferences because of what he thought about uh, referees, you know, that's been over burnt, you know, overdone a bit. I mean, well, I think he said a couple of hours in yeah, his story. No, so we, we, we uh, you know, we said, come on, yeah, we, we talk about things straight afterwards. Mate, and, that would have been the story at the yeah. time, right? As a journo, after a game, when you're sitting there waiting for the coach, yeah. if someone was keeping him away for a couple of hours to cool him down, you'd know, you'd find out. So, Eddie... Uh, Eddie was always fired up after the game, and I loved working with him. But uh, and many different coaches, like you and Mackenzie as well, uh, we, we discuss uh, quite in quite detail as, as much as we can between uh, the full-time whistle and the game itself. So those those so the point about Australia now is yes, they would have clearly discussed uh, before they went to their press conference what the plan of attack would have been, talking to the media in New Zealand. Mm after that third Bledisloe. Well, I don't know if that plan was a particularly solid one then, because I want to talk now about how that's going to roll into this tour, mm -hmm. right? Now, um, Checker's made himself a target, perhaps deliberately, and, and I think unnecessarily in a lot of ways. He could have done a lot of other things in that press conference and handled it very differently. We've already seen some other cartoons start to come out, and now he's going to the home of where you're going to get touched up by the press if anything's going oh, on. Yeah. We've already heard Eddie make a couple of cracks. Eddie's been out in the press saying, send in the clowns with a big smile on his dial because Eddie loves that mental um, you know, back and forth, and he's got ammunition in both holsters right now, ready to go. Yeah. Um, so Czech is gonna be under the pump up north, and I tell you what, uh, they kick off against Wales, anything less than a win, and it's gonna be a unbelievably pressure, uh, a lot of pressure in that tour. Yes, so uh, I've given Australia a 65% chance. I don't know how I've come up with that. <laughs> the but it's a very mate. scientific <laughs> chance of winning the Grand Slam. And um, 
it really disappoints me how the Grand Slam anticipation has been sort of diminished over the years because it holds such a significant part in Australian history and the longer we go without winning them, uh, I think the more it will be. Well, you can't talk too much about it, surely. Yeah. You know, there's, there's four games and yeah. there's five on this tour. Yeah. You can't talk too much about it. You've got to get out there and start winning. I think the problem is that you lose the first game and then it's all over. <laughs> so the Grand Slam is a grand sham or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So. Imagine all the headlines that will come out after that. Uh, even a, in a dodgy win over Wales uh, could be a point of criticism too for Australia, given that they played really well against the All Blacks. But you never know with Wales because they've got so much talent and mm. how they can play the game. So um, first up, you've got to say Australia should win the game. But yeah. uh, look, I am not betting on that. No way, uh, Ben Kimber, that Australia are going to win that first test as a 100% guarantee. No. Um, we're interested to see the teamy names too. Now, I'm assuming it won't have uh, Korobiti, the rugby league convert, on the wing. Uh, oh, yeah. There was a lot of controversy in the, in the selection of the Wallabies team around Marika Korobiti, the Melbourne Storm winger, getting put into the squad, as he revealed exclusively himself accidentally a few months ago <laughs> that he was given the nod that he'd get that. Um, uh, some discussion around is it cheapening the jersey to hand it straight to a guy who hasn't played rugby and since he was a youngster, I think, in Fiji. Uh, I hope I haven't got that wrong, but he has got some background in rugby. He's got some pedigree, um, yeah, yeah. But he hasn't played it for a long time. Correct. Uh, he's got genuine wheels. He's fast. But uh, where he comes into play on this tour, is it just to get him accustomed to the environment? A lot of talk uh, around, you know, Wallabies fans around Luke Morahan getting left out, who is a genuinely solid uh, player for Corabiti. Your thoughts on that, mate? I can't believe they've done it. Because all the talk was we were over the stuff. And I think actually uh, Wendell Saylor, Lottie Takiri and Matt Rogers were actually valuable recruits because they had brought amazing talent. And Wendell was this big wide runner as well because when he ran the ball, it took six blokes to bring him down. So the, they were valuable players back then. And they were massive names. Corabetti is a, is a good player, but he's not in the same realm of those names uh, back at the turn of the century when they were signed for the Waratahs uh, and, of course, uh, for the uh, Wallabies back in the day, and of course, Queensland as well. So I think, uh, I can't believe they signed him, you know, a winger. I mean, we have got a number of players that can really play well on the wing. And we've got one bloke that should be playing on the wing who isn't, probably is, is um, you know, Israel Folau. Mm. If he's not playing on the wing, then put him in the centre. Make a decision on that. So I, I, I'm, good luck to him. I hope he does well but I still can't believe they did it. No, I'm with you. I think it was the wrong move. I just don't see what they're going to get out of this. And, you know, admittedly, check as the coach. He's the guy who's got to build this over years, so he's making his calls for his own reasons. But you can't see him genuinely picking the guy to play in a test match. You know, you've got a squad, you've got enough players out there. Sure, there's a bit of room there now, possibly, with, with Falau having to come into the centres. And I suspect, I hope, that we might see the back line we talked about a while back with, with Hodge at 12, Falau at 13, and uh, Hale at Petty at fullback. I'd love to see that. But I just, I can't really see that there's a game where you'd want to bring him in cold, where he hasn't really had a chance to get involved. So, you know, as with players who came across from the league previously, the Matt Rogers, the Wendell Sailors, um, the Lottie Takiris, who ended up having a season of Super Rugby, that's where you're going to find out where Corabiti is. Mm. Now, maybe if you'd picked your 32 players and you wanted to chuck him on as a non-playing member of the squad because you think he's going to be in the future, maybe, but at the expense of a guy who might genuinely be needed, um, I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope he gets a game and kills it. But, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think it should have been happening. No, but we, we're entitled to make an assumption or a, an assessment of his capabilities in rugby. But if you look at how the other guys went when they immediately started, I mean, you remember covering Matt Rogers when he first came across. The yeah. amount of times he got caught uh, without um, being able to recycle the ball. Yeah. Um, 
he took was him a while and out of position. Yeah. And that took him a long time to get used to it. So will Australian rugby be tolerant of the amount of time that Corabetti takes to make that transition when you've got so many other players who can do it? And the other thing is winger in rugby is so much different to winger in rugby league. It is not funny. There are so many more responsibilities and it is a specialist position. Like You just don't say, okay, um, he's okay as a back, but let's whack him on the wing. Yeah. Nah. Look at, the, look at the wingers for the All Blacks. Yeah. And this is where we talk about those guys we've said before, like the Adam Ashley Coopers of the world or the Conrad mm-hmm. Smiths, who were just in, intuitive rugby players. You know, they, Their positional play and all that kind of stuff is there. The vision so is having so to adapt important. Is massive. Yeah. Having to adapt is massive. To know where to be on the field and to know where your trailing supporters are going to be. Yep. And so Matt Rogers was so good that uh, he, he'd make a massive break and uh, be caught on his own, isolated, and then turning the ball over, and, and then the opposition actually gets an advantage on the break. So it's, uh, and it took a while, but he eventually got you know, used to it. So uh, it is not easy, and I think um, it was totally unnecessary to do it, but he might prove us all wrong. Yeah, a couple more guys I want to talk about in the Wallabies quickly before we move on to the All Blacks yep. um, tour. Um, but uh, Genia's loss, I think, for two of those games is a big one. I think it's Wales at the start and England at the finish because yeah. they're outside the test window. Yep. Nick Phipps I didn't have a happy game, I think, in that even though Australia played well. Phipps a lot had... of our supporters gave him a rap on yeah, the uh, I disagreed. websites. I disagreed. I, thought, I saw a couple of knock-ons that cost us big time. I, saw, I think he tried to keep it more simple than he has previously. You know, he's been known to go off a little bit and try a bit too hard. So I think he kept it a little more simple. But I'd actually say I'd like rather see Frisbee be given the chance if Genia's not available, and Genia isn't. But I think um, having, not having Genia for England is a big one. So if Checker can't wrangle that, um, I'm, I'm quite concerned about that as, a, as an issue. All right, so before we get to our Strike Viewer comments of the week, Ben, let's uh, discuss the All Blacks in South Africa on their tours. So South Africa have a bit of a warm-up game against the British Barbarians. So is this what should the South Africans be looking to get out of this game? Look, they're in, they're in worse shape than Australia, mm. right? They really are. Um, what style they want to play, uh, you know, what players they have available, you know, their best back line, their best pack. I think they're, they're, all, they're up in the air. I, you know, I saw Peter Steph de Toy got their, their player of the year the other day, um, and I thought he was one of the worst offenders in that <laughs> smacking they got from the All Blacks. Yeah. So clearly it was outside of that game that he, that he was playing the kind of footy that made him their best player. So they are, well, we've said before, we think there's a path back for them because they have a broader Absolutely. playing base Absolutely. that they can try and work a structure into. But they really are on struggle street. And we've talked before about Joel Stransky and, uh, mm. and Schalk Berger saying what sort of issues they have. So they've got to find the game they want to play and they've got to have a few players stand up. So in a lot of ways, similar to the Wallabies, in that you know, it's nice to see the Wallabies' second rowers for the last couple of games start to find that combo. Yeah. A couple of big, you know, tall timbers there that are going to make a difference. But the box have got a lot of work to do on what their team is about. Now, Wallabies have as well, but I think Czech has got a better mindset of how he wants them to play, if not the right mindset to driving ongoing performance. But there's a lot for the, this box team to work out. Absolutely. So their program's pretty small compared to what the All Blacks and the Wallabies are doing on the spring tours. So the All Blacks, they're in America at the moment. They're going to play Ireland, and it's the first of two tests against them because in a couple of weeks they'll play Ireland in Ireland. Uh, Retallick's unavailable for this game, but Aaron Smith's going to be back in the calculations, obviously, for the tour. Uh, Gee, what a luxury, calling back Aaron Smith. Yeah. Well, I think uh, TJ Perinara has been going really well, I can tell, because I'm starting to dislike him. So I think he must be doing quite well. Um, Aaron Smith coming back is a massive uh, bonus and a benefit. I think we will see Hanson rotate. Um, you know, they've done this in the past. Um, the, the game that uh, Bowden Barrett had 
against Australia. He's copped a bit of flack for. They've said since that he's been a bit crook. Tell me this. Do they sometimes say players are a bit off colour when they've had a bad game when they aren't actually, haven't been crook? Um, I'm not suggesting the Wallabies ever uh, did that. Do you think that happens? Uh, yeah, possibly. Possibly. Yes. Right. Possibly. Well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. But um, isn't, isn't, that a bit, isn't it more about Bowden Barrett's goal kicking? Yeah. I think uh, as a game, uh, I don't have much of a problem with him. Yeah, he wasn't his normal self, but the Wallabies pack... Were they put pressure on him. They put pressure yeah. on right? And I've said before, there was too much talk around, is Bowden Barrett you know, better than Dan Carter? The answer still is clearly no. Come back to me in three years' time when Bowden Barrett's been under pressure and shown that he can continually deliver the way Carter always did. Not within Cooey yet mm. for me. Um, or Aaron, delivers a World Cup. Yeah. Um, uh, Aaron Cruden's going to get a bit of a shot because they want to keep him around. They want to make yeah. sure that he's feeling like he's part of the team. So there'll be some interesting things that we see Hansen um, um, play with, I think, in the team. Uh, you know, the centre combo is looking much more settled. He'll try a bit more out in that second row because really those two second rows are getting up there now in terms of games. Yeah. The two of Pelotus of the world are going to come in, so you'll, you'll want to see them start to get that more of a combo going. Owen Franks just recommitted to New Zealand, so he's not going to go overseas, so there's some certainty there. Um, they should clean sweep their tour, but you know Ireland have got plenty of fight in them, uh, and I'm sure that they'll give them a bit of a run. It's amazing how uh, we think it's a big deal, the Grand Slam, but you know the, the All Blacks do it all the time. You know They just sweep their European and uh, Northern Hemisphere tours without much of a problem. So, uh, yeah, interesting. So the question here is, will Ireland be hardened from two tests against the All Blacks? Will that count in their favour when they play Australia? I, like, my feeling is that um, they'll probably be hardened, mm. but you never know. It's going to come down to the nature of the games. We saw this with Argentina in the, uh, the Rugby Championship when they put on that 60-minute effort in New Zealand and had a, you know, a really big game and they were right in it and then they got wiped away. And we said at the time, we suspect that means they're going to be out of gas. Yeah. And they went over to Perth and they were, right? Even though they had the ball for much of the game, they couldn't pull it off, right? And the Wallabies got them. Uh, they got, that, I think, those first three tries in the first 10 minutes or so. So it'll, it'll come down to me to the nature of the games. If they're bruising battles and they just get, uh, and end up getting torn apart, you know, they might be... They might feel like their mentality isn't there and they might be struggling to come back and face Australia. Um, but you never know, right? If they actually get in those games and they, and they find themselves deep in those games right in them, I think that's dangerous for Australia. Absolutely. And uh, one more thing on this. England waiting at the end for Australia. Eddie Jones says, uh, well, they won't be sending in the clown straight away because it's the last game. But, you know, it's just it's a backhanded, forward-handed yeah. compliment, whatever you want to say. Uh, England waiting at the end, and Eddie Jones will have something special. Yeah, no uh, doubt about no it. No doubt about it. And again, like I think Eddie's Eddie's had a fair bit of not luck, but he's he's had a nice structure coming in as this England coach, right? It was a fairly weak Six Nations, and they they took that. He got Australia on the downslope, I think, um, and I don't think England were anywhere near New Zealand. I think he got Australia on the downslope and, and took a uh, you know a, a valid three nil victory there. But even now, getting Australia as the last game on their tour. He gets a couple of games to get his team up and moving for what will be a big game against Australia. Um, I, I sincerely hope that we have a Grand Slam on the line against England. Oh. Can you imagine the week of Eddie Jones and the lead up to that and how much uh, we'll get out of that? So yeah. uh, that is going to be a massive game. He's lost a few like uh, Itoji, Itoji the, uh, the second oh, rower. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's had a few in the wars. So it'll be interesting to see what he shapes through the next couple of weeks. It'll be great for the game. What a way to end the uh, spring series uh, with Australia playing for the Grand Slam against uh, England, the old enemy. Yeah. Uh, now let's move on to the strike viewer comments.
Mate, another great week of comments. Um, please, as we said before, share it out to your friends on Facebook. And I've got a shout out there to Petey Ferretti. Also, who... can I jump in? Please also subscribe to us on YouTube There's more and like us on Facebook as well. So yeah. we need those likes and subscribers, yeah. please. Spread the word. Thank you. So Petey Ferretti, big call out to him. Uh, he shared it with about 10 mates. Thanks, Petey. And that was a good conversation oh, yeah, there. Um, Julius Kafer uh, said, "Take the show on the road to a club, a rugby club, and Julius do it there." Yeah, that'll be good. different spelling, but uh. you know, <laughs> he didn't make any mention of Nigel Owen, so can't be related. Uh, Dyes eighty eight said, uh, tell, "Tell TJ to stop giving away New Zealand secrets." But a lot of great support for having TJ on the show, and we'd love to get him back in yeah, future. How good was he? Uh, plenty of talk about Checker. Michael Abbey said, "A Checker outburst is really going to affect the team." I think we've talked about that. Yeah. Lewis Don thought it was a deliberate tactic to set the team up as bad boys ahead of their yeah. tour of Europe. Uh, Mark Robertson said it was clearly affecting more, um, and Seth Prescott and Raymond Mahare said uh, Checker really ruined the night, which I think was very much from our Kiwi fans. Uh, Nehana Dew talked about the Fibs game and Genia absence. We've also talked about that. A couple of shout-outs to some uh, some of the, the guys who are there week in and week out um, commenting. Tina T, always Tina, jumps we in love with, you, great, Tina. with great comments. Always backing us up, too. Uh, welcome to Mike <laughs> Crawford, who rates us higher than the breakdown on NZTV. We like that feedback. Bruce Tucker and David L. Papa sent great private messages with stories about rugby. We're going to try to convince them to put some more on the public pages. Actually, just on that, yeah, we've had some wonderful messages that haven't been public, and uh, and I think that's a technical thing more than anything else. And so we are engaging with them uh, privately, but we'd love to see more of those go public because it's just tremendous, yeah. And the final one, my uh, strike uh, viewer comment of the week is Maram McKay, who, who suggested that we give away TJ's book. So we're going to do that. Um, it's always good giving away someone else's phone. stuff. It is, it is. <laughs> uh, but the first person to get one will be, will be Marama. So Marama, I'll reach out to you and get a book uh, on its way to you. And the next couple of weeks, we'll work out who uh, who uh, of our viewers, whether it's a comment of the week or most shares or something, gets a, a book from Tony Johnson. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, fantastic. And uh, we are thinking about um, after Darren Ormsby came up the idea about maybe doing some tours down the track. So as we develop, uh, we'll gauge uh, some interest out there about doing tours and, and doing shows on the road. We're definitely going to do something uh, around Christmas or thereabouts um, yeah. with the program on the road. So Yeah, so let us know if you'd like to be involved in a live show with us or something. Yeah, yeah, so just throw the ideas at it. And, um, you know, even if, if you don't want to put it on the public page, just send us a, a, a direct message on the uh, Rugger Matrix Facebook page and uh, we'll have a look at it, absolutely. So uh, the show's been going gangbusters. We are approaching one on YouTube alone, one million viewing minutes mm. in the last two months alone. Massive. So since thank you all, thank you very much. And since we've sort of remodeled the show with uh, Ben and myself and our guests and the great new studio, uh, the response has been terrific. And uh, our New Zealand audiences, we really want to thank you for coming on board as well. It's been absolutely terrific to have you involved in our which is our humble little show, which is starting to take on the world. So, Ben, uh, that is it uh, for Rugged Matrix International, episode 226. Anything you'd like to say on the way out? Uh, only as always, mate. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, please like us, share us, tag a friend. There he is, Ben Kimber joining us. I've been Juro Sen, and this has been another episode of Rugged Matrix International. Until next week, enjoy your rugby. <laughs>